0: So if, you, uh, if you're able to do this, we're going to read out of James 2, uh, starting in verse 1. But if you can able to stand, why don't you stand with me and let's uh, read the, the word of God here. Uh, James 2, uh, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting and wearing gold ring and fine clothes and, and a poor man in a filthy old clothes comes in. If you uh, show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, no, no, you, you, you stand there. Or, or, you know, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich,? Isn't it, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into cart? Are they, they not the ones who are blaspheming your, your, the noble name of him who you belong to? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. He who said you shall commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you, if you do not commit adultery but you, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to those, uh, to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a reading of words, God, the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, if you, I tend to talk a lot about Indy because I. I've it's been a place that's really changed me. 12 years ago, I went uh, for the first time to lead a pastor's conference, and, and I felt like I met Jesus again in India. I, I, I met Jesus again amongst the poor, amongst the, the a people that, they kinda, they're called the Dalits, they just kind of push them aside, they don't matter. And, and I actually really, one of the groups that really made a huge impact, where I really felt the presence of God was with this leprechaun that we got to spend time with. And so, So that morning, now I I knew, this is my first time to India, I I knew we were gonna go go be spending time with these lepers. And I really thought that was kind of like an Old Testament kind of thing, like New Testament, you know, like it's a Bible thing. It's not like now thing. And so I was honestly like pretty overwhelmed by the whole idea of like spending time with them. You know, and if you don't know about leprosy, leprosy is a neurological disease that essentially um, kills your nerves and then limbs fall off. And so you know can I, can, I, can I touch them? Can I hold them like am I not well, I catch I was like kind of nervous, overwhelmed by the whole experience, so standing on top uh, on the building on the fourth floor, and they 're going to bring we harvest India was bringing them to the campus. They live in these colonies because the country pushes them to these colonies, so they live in these colonies to take care of one another, so, but we were bringing them to the campus, so they, they they start showing up, and I, so I go on this fourth floor. I'm like overlooking, and I see all this commotion down on the street side where all the shops are. And as the lepers are showing up, the, the business owners are coming out, no joke, with brooms and, and yelling, right? And there's all this commotion, right? And what I found out was that, you know, lepers have the, the worst karma, like the worst karma, and they don't want that bad karma anywhere near their business, or they'll lose business. And so they're like, get away Get away from my business. Get away from here. And they're like literally with a broom because they don't want to lose their customers. And I don't know, as I was telling that story, if you felt something inside of you like, that's wrong. Did you feel that? Like there's something about that. that There's something inside of us that tells us that's not right. That's wrong. And I, I remember thinking like, thank goodness that doesn't exist here but it does, right, like we all know it does. And you know one of the more dangerous places that happens is here, in local churches where we kind of shove people away and go, no, 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 you gotta look like this, you gotta act like this, no, 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 you're gonna taint this place, when in reality, the kingdom of God is like, open doors, come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll bring, give you rest. And it's this tragic thing that James is trying to help us connect with. This deep truth that we know what's wrong. We feel it, but we are unaware of why, oftentimes, we keep perpetuating the same problem. And what James is trying to do throughout his whole letter is try to say this. The gospel is good news. Because it is about a God who extends a generous, holy, eternity-changing mercy to anyone who will receive it. And not only that, when we receive it, the other part of the good news is is we now extend it back. That we become mercy multipliers. Because we've experienced that mercy, we've experienced the overwhelming holy nature of that mercy, that we now multiply that. That's called kingdom economics, right? There's this passage in Luke 12 that a lot of us know, and it says, to whom much is given, much is required. And sadly, what most people do with that passage, they go, oh, that is just about money. Like, we, we like to do that. How many of you love Skittles? How many of you love Skittles? Raise your hand if you love Skittles, okay. How many of you like to pick a color with Skittles? Like you like, I like, the red, like, I like the red ones. How many of you like the red ones, right? I'm a red guy, right? So I like the red ones. So this is what we've done with Christianity on the whole. We've just gone like, oh, I like the red ones. I'm not saying I don't wanna eat the rest of the Skittles, like, because they're all Skittles. I just like the red ones most. This is what we do, it's Skittle Christianity. It's Skittle Christianity. I like this part. I mean, I I, I, I don't know if I really want to do all that, right? And and as it relates to this particular passage in James and what Luke is trying to say as as it's helping us understand about kingdom economics is is like this. To whom much is given, much is required. That's all of you. All of you. Your mercy is to be multiplied. Your finances are to be multiplied, right? Because we'll use that passage and say, oh, that's just about money. No, it's not. It's a whole life passage. Your mercy, to whom much mercy has been given, much mercy is required to give back. That's kingdom economy. This is what Jesus died for. This is what Jesus displayed. This is what James is trying to help this beautiful church, this first church, up and going. If you know that James is one of the earliest books written in the Bible, He wrote it about 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. And he's coming to this small Jewish community who's living in a Gentile world that doesn't look like them, doesn't act like them. And he's trying to say, hey, listen, we're now defined by this mercy. And we need to go multiply this mercy. And he's very, very honest all throughout his book about how to do that. He's trying to move us to righteousness. But he's doing it in this very awesome bizarre way because he's jesus's brother half brother he watched jesus grow up he saw what jesus looked like as a kid right he saw what he looked like as a son as a carpenter we don't have a lot of historical writings about all that but james does he is, I, he, is he was there as jesus was being raised. He was living in that annoying home where the mom kept going, "He's the Messiah," you know, like, and he's like, "Ah, I hate that," right? But that's what. So, but James was also there when Jesus died. James probably dealt with the fact that he wasn't like he, Jesus keeps saying and proclaiming over the last three and a half years that he is the Messiah, and James is like, "Yeah, but he's like my brother." I don't know, like, he wants to believe it, but he, you know, it's like the intention, and all of a sudden. He, like, goes throughout these villages, and he sees the kingdom economy that's being displayed for the world. And then he sees Jesus on the cross, extend his hands, and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mercy. And James is coming to this young church and going, multiply it multiply it stop taking advantage of it multiply it i know i was one of them i know i i struggled with it too but he changed the world that's good news and he's inviting us all into that james is trying to define what righteousness is as he observed it in his brother jesus Suresh has, who's the president of Harvest India, he has this great quote, it's one of my favorite quotes, and he says this, everybody's doing, but nobody's getting anything done. And he's specifically talking about believers. Everybody's busy doing, but nobody's getting anything done. James would have been like, amen, right? Because what Suresh is saying, we're all busy doing the wrong stuff, and we're busying ourselves. What are we doing to do kingdom impact? Make a difference in this world. Because I'll tell you what our culture is telling you. It's telling you to create partiality. It's telling you, you gotta be on this side or this side. It's telling you, you gotta pick a politician. It's telling you, you have to pick a policy. It's telling you, you have to pick a party. You have to pick a race. It's telling you that you have, and Jesus is like, stop it. James is like, stop it. I died for the world. My mercy extends to the world. It extends to blue and to red. And I love them all. As goofy and crazy as we all are, he loves us all. And he's like, if you have experienced that, that mercy, you will multiply that. James is bringing our I hope you're feeling the conviction I have been feeling all week long. This is a beautiful freedom that we've been given, but man, I tell you what, you've heard these passages before, haven't you? We know the truth, don't we? But why is it that we continue to run against this good news that that Jesus has given to us, that James is trying to help us understand? Uh, My wife, we've been married this year, I think 23 years, awesome. And uh, my wife at 40, like so many of us uh, were you know, thinking that you know I, I feel great. My, and then all of a sudden her eyes started going and she didn't wanna really deal with the fact that she's, my wife, how many of you hate the optometrist? Hate it. She hates the optometrist. I mean, loathes it. And I'm sure they're wonderful people but she despises that place, right? And so she decided that she'd just figure it out but then we go out to eat, right? And we're sitting and she's trying to do the menu and she's doing one of these bits like, you know, like, and, and so I gotta run out to the car. I gotta get a readers, like, bring them back in. Like, it's like a whole thing. And, and I'm like, why don't you just get LASIK? And she's like, I'm not letting some dude touch my eye, right? And so, but she got glasses. She, she got prescription glasses, and she puts them on, and this is what James is inviting us to do. We're, we're, we're living in this kind of blurry theology, and, and you see, the theology of Jesus that James is trying to help us understand is not this ethereal truth; It's practical ethics that we live out. And mercy is moving us forward. But will we listen? Will we do it? Will we put on the lenses that he's trying to give to us so we can see clearly the path before us, that we would lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge who? Him. And what will he do? He'll direct our path, and that's what we need. And so he starts off first with this, basically this proposition, this petition of we need to prohibit, as believers, we need to prohibit partiality. He says this in verse one, and I love the way he says this. My brothers and sisters, believers, and you can see, like feel it, I want you to feel it. Sometimes we don't humanize the scriptures enough, right? Be there in the room when he's saying this. Feel the feels, and he's like looking over these people as a spiritual father and he's just, go, he's just like looking at them and going, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, my brother, we must not show favoritism. We've got to stop this. We've got to stop doing that. And then he does this story in, 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 in verses two through four, a story that honestly Jesus has told. And you can imagine like, you know, Jesus is such a great storyteller, and James is like, I'm just gonna pick up that legacy. And so he tells this story. He tells this story about the rich man who walks in, right? And he, he's got these clothes, these very colorful clothes, and he's got rings. In fact, they, in fact, they would wear multiple rings when they would walk in. To try to say to everyone, hey, I'm a big deal. How many of you have heard, raise of hands, of peacocking? Anyone ever heard of a peacocking? Any of peacocking, right? You ever gone to a zoo? Like, peacocks are ugly birds, right? They're not... Beautiful birds, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "What an ugly bird!" And then they're like, "Oh yeah," ah! right? Feathers up, right? Everyone's like, "Whoa, oh my gosh, that's a... right? They're peacocking. That peacockies, peacocks are, are are prideful birds, right? They're prideful birds, right? Because they're like, "Oh, you don't think? Well, well, check this out," right? And then, but that's what—that's literally what's happening in the scenario. This man is walking into the synagogue, and he's peacocking. He's going like. Look at my bright clothes. Look at my gold rings. I'm a big deal. And here's the problem. The church doesn't go, hey, man, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. No, we go, oh, have a seat right here in the front. Hey, could you guys move over? This big deal person's coming in. And, and then the contrast is this. There's a poor man, and he walks in. Everyone's like, ah, oh, that guy again. Hey, finds, just in the back, just... You can sit on the floor, I don't really care. Just it's so inconvenient. And like we, we know that story, right? We, we feel that story. But why isn't that story changing us? Why isn't it just wrecking us because I don't know, if we, I think we struggle with an understanding that there is no partiality in the kingdom of God. There is no place for it. Jesus came to us. God came to us, Emmanuel, and what did he do? Did he go hang out with all the politicians? No, it's not that he didn't. He, he, he met with the, with the religious, he met with government people, right? But what he did is he went and, gone and hung out with the Samaritans. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans, hated them despised them, called them lower than dogs. And what did Jesus do? He takes them to a Samaritan village, and the, and the disciples are hungry, and they're like, we're hungry, we gotta get some food. He's like, just go into town. And they're like, no, just go into town. You're hungry, go get some food. with some, No, but if we eat this, we'll be hungry. Uncle- just go get some food. And he has this conversation with this Samaritan woman, right? He, right, he tells a story about what? A good Samaritan, like he's bringing conflict because they, they like to this partiality. Like they like these, you know, you're over here, they're over here, we're good, you're bad. And Jesus kind of flips the script because he's like, in my kingdom, it doesn't work like that. There's equality in my kingdom, right? He hangs out with the lepers. In, in modern day, it's the same thing. We put lepers in villages. We try to get sick people away. I don't want that all over me. What does Jesus do? He goes to the leper, touches the leper, heals the leper, goes to the poor, goes to the vagabond, is called and lives like a vagabond, is called a glutton and a drunk, a friend of sinner. He goes to Zacchaeus' house and says, dude, I wanna go to your house for dinner. And everyone's like, he's the worst, that guy's the worst. And he's like, I came to seek and save the lost. Mercy upon mercy, given out to all of us. Displaying for us what the kingdom of God is all about. And you can almost hear James as he's going through this, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He's so, because he's going like this, I get it, I thought he was crazy too. I thought he was crazy too, but he's not. He's changed the world. And that's why it's good news that we're all being invited into, right? Paul says this, I love, like Paul kind of jumps on it and goes, listen, there is, in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free. There is neither male or female for you all are one in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's rejecting the plurality and the favoritism in our culture is that we all have access to Jesus. And his love wasn't just for one people group, one political system. It was for the world. And James is like, do you feel that? Paul's like, do you feel that? Feel it deeply in your soul. Because there is equality at the foot of the cross. There's a equal- Jesus died so all could be set free all could experience the redeeming mercy and grace that he wants to extend. And now he hands you and I the baton and said, will you multiply this? Will you go do this? And as I was talking about this passage with a friend this week, he was like, I I love this passage, but it's so frustrating. I'm like, why? He goes, because we all know that this is a problem. We all know it's a problem. And I said, well, what what do you think? And he goes, I think we're looking at it wrong. I think the reason why we want to be associated with that rich person is because it makes us feel good. Like, we don't want to be associated with the poor. We want to be associated with the rich because with the rich, then I get popularity, I get power, I get influence, right? But with the poor, it's like there's no, like, impoverished people in India that are influencers on Instagram because our culture doesn't want that. They don't want that. They reject that. No, if you were good, then you would be doing this. You would look like this. And we want to be associated, whether we want to believe it or not, with the winning team. I want, and who's winning? The rich are. The popular are. The powerful are. And I want to be associated. So my ego, my insecurity, wants to go here. And meanwhile, Jesus is born in a barn in Bethlehem. And I gotta be honest, the struggle for me this week is realizing I would have been in the crowd screaming crucify him. Have you ever been in the crowd? Like you ever put yourself there? You should. I realize I am hardwired for partiality. Like all of a sudden this guy, everyone starts talking about Jesus and what he's doing. I'm like this guy, what is this guy? We've got a system, we gotta, you know, like, I, I really believe, and I, I wish I didn't believe that about myself, but I do. Like, I would be in the crowd, and I would be mocking and jeering at him. Meanwhile, he's extending his hands and going, mercy, mercy on you, mercy on you, mercy on you. And James knows this. James experienced this. And that's why he keeps coming back to the church and going, could, you, could we just talk? Could we, could we work through this together? because the problem is that we keep perpetuating, we keep perpetuating partiality. And that's why in, in verses five through 11, he's going, can't you see this is a problem? This is a, this is a significant problem, but what we need to deal with, and this will unleash us, and what he's trying to help us, if we're not, we always think about poverty in the context of money, but we don't think about it in the context of relationship, we don't think about it in the, as it relates to health, The poverty is so much bigger. And we don't want to see ourselves as weak. Except that the scriptures keep telling us, you're weak, you're weak. You can't do anything to earn the grace of God. And we hate that. We want to convince ourselves that the more powerful we become, the more influence we have, that we're going to be better. And the truth is, it's a lie that Satan has created from the beginning of time to distract you from the mercy of God. And that's why James keeps coming back and going, look, It's not, this isn't going to work. As we move this good news forward, it's not going to work for you to continue to be distracted by this. You have to deal with the fact, if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And for the wages of sin is death. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah says, all of our good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. But we struggle with that and it's why we struggle to see hurting people, impoverished people, and many, not just economically, and all different aspects because we're not dealing with our own spiritual poverty. And the mercy of God is trying to wake us up. Wake us up to that truth. This is so much bigger than rich and poor. It is the context of this passage And it was a huge problem in the first century church, and it's a huge problem today. But we all have to deal with the fact that we're poor and we need Jesus. We have to deal with that. And he's desperately trying to help them understand that. And then one word that really stood out to me in this passage, and I've missed it all the other times that I've kind of worked through this passage, was in verse seven. It says this, are they not the ones, he's talking about the rich, or if you want in our culture, just the world, the kingdom of this world, are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of whom you belong? And that word belong got me this week. And I started studying it and I was like, wow, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. You know, we adopted our daughter Mika when she was four years old from the state of Arizona. And we went through the whole thing, and the judge, and he, he was like, you know, you're a goki. And we're like, that's so cool. And it was like real, but it became really real when we went around the corner. We walked in, the, in this office, and they wrote a birth certificate. And on the birth certificate, it said that Patty was the biological mother. Like Patty's name is on there as Mika's mother. She's a goki. That's her identity. That's who she is she belongs to the goki family you and i we're christians christ is our savior god is our father it's him that we belong to we do not belong to this world we are aliens in this world but we keep pretending and acting and james is like stop stop just live like the one you belong to. Let him bring you life. And so he transitions into this whole beautiful point about, about the laws, the different laws that, that govern us. So he first, he first starts off in, uh, in verse seven, and he says, you need to go by the royal law. And the royal law was to love your neighbor as yourself. This was taking a play. Jesus did, the, remember this story where they come and they say, hey, summarize the whole law. And they and Jesus basically requotes the Shema but adds components to it. And one of the things he he he, he added was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love others. This, this was the wholeness of what gospel was: was this the mercy of God. I love God, I receive his mercy, and I extend that mercy out, and I love other people. This is the fulfillment of the entire law. And James is like, when we live this way, we are living as people of mercy. We are multiplying mercy. We are living in kingdom economics. And this is what he's empowering us to do. But then he moves on to this other law in, in verse 12. It's the law of liberty. And the, this verse says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This law wasn't this like, overwhelming law. It was a law that brought freedom and clarity, right? We, we have a law of, of, of summarizing all 613 laws, very complex. And Jesus goes, let me make it easy for you. Love Me and love other people. It's that clear. And that clarity per, per, helps us to move forward in what we're called to do. It brings us freedom. I, I do a decent amount of marriage counseling, and I'll have husbands and wives who will come in and will, will sit with me, and, and ultimately at some point the wife will say, he should just know, he should just know, he should just know. And, I, and I'm looking at the dude's face and he's like, I don't, I don't know, I wanna tell you, we are simple, men are simple creatures. We are, if you are setting us up for failure, if you just go, well, he should just know. He should just know I'm not in a good mood. He should just know I hate flowers. Like, we don't know. We don't know. It's so confusing. We just are like, tell us what to do, right? We're like puppies, right? Stop peeing in the house, right? Men are like puppies. We just like, tell me what to do. I wanna, to the best of my ability, I wanna serve you. But when our wives are like, you should just know. You're like setting us up for failure, right? Because we're like, we need clarity. I tell my wife all the time, I'm the worst guesser in the world. If you make me guess, I will get it wrong and it'll be frustrating. So. You're welcome, I just saved you thousands of dollars marriage, of marriage counseling, okay? Don't make your husband's guess. Be very clear. Listen, you're being an idiot, stop it. Oh, okay, well, maybe I gotta figure that out, right? Right, and so we don't have that with this law. The, the, the laws that, that God has given to us through Jesus is saying, let me summarize all of this and say this. Love me. Love the other people. And when you do that, you are moving forward the good news of Jesus Christ. I love this quote by uh, one of my favorite commentators. His name is William Barclay, and he says this. This is so beautiful. Unlike the Pharisees and the Orthodox, Orthodox Jew, the Christian is not a man whose life is governed by external pressures of a whole series of rules and regulations imposed on him from without. He is governed by, this is beautiful, receive this, he is governed by the inner compulsion of love. He follows the right way, the way, of, the, the way of the love to God and to love men, not because of any external law compels him to do so, nor because any threat of punishment frightens him frightens him into doing so, but because... <laughs> but because the love of Christ within, him, within his heart makes him de- desire so. It's this, when we fully come to understand that we were impoverished, we are poor, and we needed saving, we experienced the rescue, his mercy, which helps us love him, and as we love him, we cannot help but loving other people. It compels us, not because somebody tells us to do it, or there's this law that's thumping us on the head. It's going, be released, be loved, receive the love, and give the love. Receive the mercy, give the mercy. Kingdom economy, keep multiplying that over and over and over, which leads us into this law of mercy in verse 13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In this period of my life, I have come to under, understand my depravity more than any other time in my life. <sighs> I stand before you as a man who is trying his best to pursue after the Lord. I often get up, James three talks about teachers beware. Like, te- just beware that you hop up here and say, and everyone thinks that I, I got it all put together. Don't, like I'm trying. I should be a statistic. I should, statistically, have had an affair with my wife and led into really painful, awful addictions and hurt a lot of people, and my kids included. I feel the mercy of God. I cannot believe at this point in my life. And so as a result of that, it's shifting things in me. Like when people come and sit in my office with horrible, awful struggles. I used to judge them, right? It used to be like, get it together. What's wrong with you? You know the truth, just do it, right? I go, I get it. I'm the chief of all sinners and I have received the mercy of God and I want to go reciprocate that and so I want to walk with people in their pain. I want to walk with people in their depravity instead of judging them from a distance because the, my king of kings and my lord of lords did not do that to me. He rescued me. And this is the law of mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. What we are brought into accountability, like in Matthew 5. Remember, we just got through this series about unrighteousness, that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful to people. And this is going to like extend mercy. You're not ever going to be able to truly enjoy life and life to the full this gospel good news, that you, if you're not experiencing the mercy of God, you're not going to be able to reciprocate that to a, wor- a plural world, a separated favoritism world. And the good news is like, no, we've got Jesus, right? Amen? We got Jesus, and he loves us, and he saves us, and he, re- he rescues us, because reciprocation will happen as a result of us understanding our emancipation. We will continue to love and care for people as we come and deal with the fact that we were poor, broken, sinful, and he mercifully came and died on the cross for us. This is the law of mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. You are under, if you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're under the law of mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. But what you do with that is what James is trying to encourage and challenge us into. Last night, my family and I uh, went to a GCU soccer game, and um, so I'd never been. My son's a GCU student, and, and so I had I had never um, been to a soccer game at GCU, and we're having a great time, laughing. I mean, the goalie was like incredible. This dude was unbelievable. It had like the game of his life. Forty five seconds left. He makes this block that all of a sudden we're like, what in the world? And then all and then all of a sudden the whole stadium just went quiet, and this goalies laying on the ground in the whole stadium we watch people rush in on them P- players are crying like coaches or we like we're like what is going on what is happening for 30 minutes we're watching people care we don't know if they're trying to resuscitate him we don't know if he broke his we don't know what's happening and the and everyone in the crowd is going like somebody's got to do something like, and everyone's going, like, where's the ambulance? Where's, and we, we're listening, everyone's listening, and we're like, what's going, what's happening? Like, that feeling of helplessness, of like, I want to do something, I want to help, but I can't help, and you, the, the stadium's just quiet, completely quiet, and all of a sudden, the fire truck shows up way far away, and the firemen start walking on the field, and somebody yells, Run! You need to run. And so the whole crowd, who's just been quiet for 30 minutes, finally feels like they can do something. And they're like, run, you need to run. And the guys are like, you got to come over. And, 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 the police, and the firemen are just kind of walking. But everyone's feeling like, you got to go, man. This guy's hurt. Something really bad has happened. You need to do You can't walk. You're the player on the field. Jesus is the one who ran to you rescued you came to you extended his mercy to you he ran look at the prodigal son he doesn't stand on his front porch and say i'll wait for you to show up he runs to the son embraces him and kisses him this is the picture of the love and the mercy of god that he's extended to each and every one of you and when we finally understand that we will run to others But so often, we find ourselves in the stands feeling like, well, are we allowed to do something? Should we not do something? Participate in crushing this partiality that's happening in our world. Extend mercy, because much has been given to you. Live in the kingdom economics that Jesus so beautifully displayed to us, his upside-down kingdom. That when you have life, in life to the full, it will be as a direct result of you dying and giving your life up the way he did. And I feel it so deeply in my soul. And I desire for the local church to be a beautiful light on a stand for the world to see. But let us extend the mercy. Let us extend this narrative that says this, this good news, that mercy triumphs over judgment. That's who our king is. That's who our king is. And that's what he's done for you and me out of great love and a great sacrifice. Let's go do the same. This is what he's inviting us into. This is what James is passionately preaching to these people.